Hello there and welcome into another edition of the Intersection Podcast with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. This podcast is being released during the midst of the Major League Baseball postseason and while the New York Mets and bench coach Dave Jouse aren't there, nevertheless he and his wife Billy are champions in the Lord. She joined me recently to talk about the importance of Christians setting aside those things that may keep us from experiencing God's fullness. Then you'll be hearing from Costi Hen. He was once part of his family's ministry and sensed that God was leading him in a different direction. Recently, he and I talked about God's power to heal, and he provided some direction regarding how Christians can approach that subject. Also on this edition of The Intersection, Actress Shannon Fields is the co-host of a renovation streaming series in which widows become the recipients of home improvements and biblical encouragement. In the midst of filming the first season, she lost her own husband. Find out more about God's work in her life ahead. Finally, from Mama Bear Apologetics, Hillary Morgan Ferrer and Amy Davison provide comments regarding how Christian parents can teach children about principles consistent with God's plan for sexuality. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Billy Jouse is the wife of a Major League Baseball coach, New York Mets bench coach Dave Jouse. She's the mother of three sons who also work in baseball and the author of a book called Making Room, Doing Less So God Can Do More, in which she examines how believers in Christ can allow God to rearrange their lives in order to bring more fulfillment in Him. Here now from a recent Meeting House conversation is Billy Jouse. One of the ways that I talk in the book about how to discern that, we have external distractions and we have internal distractions. Mm. You know, your external distractions are your, and some of your external distractions can be really good godly things. But as my husband often tells me that I have the right hand syndrome. Um, somebody needs to lead a Bible study. Anybody want to lead the Bible study? I do. You know, I'm always saying yes to things on my own without really praying about it and wondering, is that the best opportunity God desires for me to work for him? So you've got these internal and external distractions. And in the book, I talk about how I watch this back in the day. Here I go again. You can tell I'm getting older. Um, a Stephen Covey presentation where he talks about how you put in the small rocks and then the big rocks and then the sand and then the water. Mm. And I remembered watching that and I'm like, you know what, in my life in this making room, it really whittled down to five priorities that I needed to take care of in my life. So the big rocks in my life are the five priorities, Jesus, my family, my husband, baseball wives, and my writing. And so in those five big things, if I'm pouring in pebbles, of all the other stuff that I'm doing, all the other emotional barriers that I put in between me and God, I don't have enough room in that jar to put those five big rocks, and we have to take one out. And if there are true priorities, we do not want to take one of those out of our lives. So what we have to do is pour the little rocks out, put the big rocks in first. Taking time to prioritize those five big rocks, whatever those five most important things are for you in your life, and then pouring the pebbles in, the things you can say yes to, the things you need to say no to, those little pebbles have to be put off to the side. And that's really, there's no one fit answer for all of us because God has created us as unique individuals. 
He has given us an independent soul and spirit to connect with him, to be able to do only what we can do for him through the things he's calling us into. So when we put those five priorities in, then those other smaller rocks, you're discerning better what God's will is in your life. You're understanding through his words and his spirit what his will is for your life, what his purpose and calling are for you. And I don't think that's one thing. I think it's an everyday thing. And you can begin to hear him better when those extra things have gotten out and the most important things are in there first. Well, I understand that there is a spiritual warfare element in this book, Making Room. You talked about distractions, and I contend that the enemy will attempt to get us so distracted that we're, we're missing what God has in store for us. The enemy tries to get us off track. He wants to get us distracted. Comment, if you would, on how you deal with this whole area of, of spiritual attacks and recognizing them and avoiding them. You know, the enemy is going to try to put his two cents worth into everything, and he's going to get us in our weakest places, right? The places that our heart is broken for the most, our children, our friendships, our relationship, whatever it may be, that, you know, you have to be aware that the enemy's on the prowl. And I'm not saying to give him more attention than you do God ever. No, no, no. However, we have to be aware that he is on the prowl. And he is going to try to sneak his way into anywhere he can. And one of the ways that you can discern that is understanding, being aware of who God is and what God desires, and understanding the opposite of that is the enemy. And, you know, it, it just, in part of the book, I, really, I talk about listening for guidance. When we're listening for God's guidance, we need to understand what that spiritual attack is, what those voices are. Sometimes they're our own voice within our head. You know, Satan will confuse us where God will enlighten us. Satan pushes us to do something, and God leads us to do something. When Satan rushes us, God stills us. The two polar opposite um, things that we hear within our spirit. And to be aware of that and understanding of that is the beginning of being able to flee from the devil, to, to push Satan aside and really lean into understanding God's will, God's voice, what God is saying to us. Billy Jowls here on this edition of The Intersection. Her website address is Billy, B-I-L-L-I-E, Jowls, J-A-U-S-S, dot com. Well, next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Costi Hen, the president and founder of For the Gospel, who also pastors in Arizona. In our recent conversation, he discussed the inspiration for the book, More Than a Healer, Not the Jesus You Want, But the Jesus You Need, and some of the perspective that he shares in it. Here now from that Meeting House conversation is Costi Hen. One of the biggest things that I eventually discovered, you say the Holy Spirit, I was sensing the Holy Spirit lead me in a new direction. You're, you're spot on. And he was doing that as I read the Bible and was spoken to by loving, gracious, godly Christians who encouraged me along. I have a wonderful pastor and friend still in my life to this day who wasn't really hammering me with the Bible, but he was asking me hard questions. And I had a wife who I had married 
and she's still my wife now, but before we were married, asking me tough questions, really clear questions. You know, the Bible says this, but you believe and taught or teach that. And even going back to college, I played baseball at Dallas Baptist University and had a coach there that would often bring up baseline truths. And all of these things put what I would call cracks in the dam of my theology. And one day it burst forward and the water started rushing. And what that really was, was the idea of healing. Now, there were a bunch of other elements that I believed and we taught. And those were, I would say, wayward and even erroneous and dangerous. But in particular, healing. We taught that it was always God's will to heal. And if you didn't get healed, there was something wrong with you. You weren't having enough faith. You didn't, weren't given enough money or you were hanging around with the wrong people. And we would teach that if people did a certain criteria, they would get healed. Well, one day I was studying John chapter five and the healing at the pool of Bethesda. And while Jesus healed many people who did have faith and he was moved with compassion, like the woman with the issue of blood who grabs the hem of his garment and power leaves him. I mean, Jesus was moved many times by people's awareness and acknowledgement of him. But this man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter five, if you remember the story, he didn't even know who Jesus was. Jesus heals him. He shows him a sovereign love, a kindness, a mercy that had no merits of its own. This man did nothing to deserve healing. Jesus just heals him. And I remember studying that and thinking, whoa, that is so different. And so I wrote a different book on the prosperity gospel because that's what I came out of on that topic. But this was a book that deal, this book now more than a healer deals with healing because I wanted to deal with that topic. Here's why. Uh, it's, it's not you know, the prosperity gospel is not what everyone believes, but even good, well-meaning, godly Christians get stuck in this idea that if they do the right things, if they're obedient, not even if they have enough faith or give enough money or, or you know, buy the preacher a private plane. I'm not talking about the extremes here or even that stuff. I'm just saying basic Christians saying, yeah, I'm a righteous person. I'm a good person. I'm obedient. God, God will heal me. He'll bless me, right? I'll get the the American dream life, and I won't be rich and famous, and I won't have my own business that's just thriving. I'm not going to be one of Forbes, you know, top 50, but I'm going to have good things, right? God's not going to let anything bad happen to me. Well, I call that prosperity gospel light. It's like the diet version, and mm -hmm. what we see in scripture is that Jesus is a healer, and yes, we should pray for healing, and yes, he does heal, and he does great and mighty things. We serve a supernatural God, who is still very much supernatural, but, or, and many times he grows us through times of trial. He grows us in the suffering. He meets us in our suffering. And this book is going to start off chapter one saying he is a healer mm. and we know Jesus is, and I need him to be my healer. And you Bob need him to be your healer and people need him to be a healer. But what if we get so caught up in needing the healing that we neglect the healer himself and we neglect or forget or overlook all the other aspects of who Christ is. That's the rest of the book. And so I wanted people to see he's hope in the middle of hopelessness. He's comfort when you are uncomfortable. He is a sovereign ruler. He's justice, especially in these days where a lot of people are looking for justice and maybe even looking for it in the wrong places or the wrong ways. We try to take justice into our own hands. That's not to say we shouldn't be active in good works in society, but Jesus is justice. And I lay out how he's savior, that if we have healing for our bodies, but we don't have healing for our souls, mm. 
we lack the truest healing that we need. So there's a lot of other elements like he's peace. And I wanted people to know that he's still love and he's still good, even when things are not. That's what this book is about. That was Costi Hen here on this edition of the Intersection Podcast. You can find him through forthegospel.org. Well, you are listening to the Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. Also through the homepage, there are links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcasts feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter at Access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, you can go to meetinghouseonline.info or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from The Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Search for Faith Radio Podcast at Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. The Intersection continues now with the co-host of the reality miniseries, Rebuild and Restore at PureFlix.com. Her name is Shannon Fields. In our conversation, she discussed the concept of the show designed to bring spiritual and physical aid to widows. She also commented on the fact that she became a widow after being chosen to be involved with the show. Here now from that conversation is Shannon Fields. It's one of those shows or films, I would always say, yes, Lord, give me this. I want this. This is one of those I would never have asked for. But God is all-knowing, and he, he, knows, he knows every hair in our head, and he knew this was going to happen. And so, yes, he prepared me early, early on. I, ha- I just did not have a clue um, that this would ever even happen to me. So as I'm walking out this journey um during this second episode is my sister her husband passed away a year and four months before my husband he passed away with a heart attack so one of the episodes is is my sister and uh, my husband was diagnosed during the making of that um and i was just trying to barrel forward help her and her kids um heal um, during that, but then we jumped to the next episode, and that's when he um, he passed away before we even finished uh, filming. Mm. Give me just an idea, I, I guess, a, a before and after situation. How did your approach change to the the widows to whom you were called to minister between, say, episode two and then the subsequent episodes following your <laughs> husband's death? Oh goodness. Um, you know, it really changed quite a bit. Um, I would not want, I mean, I, did, I wouldn't want this for any, mm. any woman at all. But, and how could we know? How can we know if we haven't walked it out? Um, so I felt like I went into this series with um, good intentions, a good heart to um, try to uplift them and care, you know, for their needs and help them heal forward. But then when it happened to me, 
I saw things so differently. And when they would say to me, at night is the loneliest time, Shannon, um, I knew what they meant. Not just, oh, yeah, I got it, you're lonely. No, I felt the deepest grief because um, I'm living that grief. And even still to this day, I I, I remember my sister, uh, I stayed with her a while, and she wanted me to continue to stay because it is such a lonely, lonely time um, when your spouse passes away at night to seem the loneliest and one of the toughest parts of the day. Um, But it wasn't until I lost Jimmy that I understood the crying at night and it was in the loneliness at night. So I, it's definitely um, definitely turned. Mm. Um, it's turned into something, I guess, I was thinking, okay, this is a ministry. I love women. I can do this to the point of, gosh, we need each other. We need a show like this because people need to see what widows and their kids and their home, what they go through every single day. So now it's turned into something different for me, not just a show, even though that's not what I want to think I thought it was before. But when it personally happens to you, um, things change a lot. So now going forward, it's, I think, I, I mean, I am on the side of the widow. So what we're doing, I want to do everything possible with the team to bless her and her kids more than I've ever had before. Well, share with me, and I know every visit is the same, but when you go in, there's a renovation project, obviously the physical renovation that, as I understand it, is carried on by your your co-hosts, but there's also, as we might say, the the spiritual renovation that takes place. So if you would just describe the components of a, a visit to a widow's home. Gosh, so when we go in, we definitely have a team of, of people that just um, all just love and care for widows. I mean, I have my co-host who does, like you said, some of the fix-it things, the physical things that need to be fixed in the home or changed or something that she or and her husband has been wanting to do. Um, and then you have the other part where I actually partner with um, Michelle Presky, she is the CEO of Widow Strong, and she is also a widow of 14 years, and she started this ministry um, that that has curriculum and all these things. So I, I kind of look at her as like the counselor. Shannon Fields here on The Intersection. You can find out more about the miniseries by going to pureflix, F-L-I-X.com, front slash rebuild, dash a-N-D-Restore. Her website is Shannon, that is spelled S-H-A-N-N-E-N, fields.com. This is the Intersection Podcast. Mama Bear Apologetics founder Hillary Morgan Ferrer and contributor and podcast co-host Amy Davison joined me recently and discussed elements of the book they co-authored entitled Mama Bear Apologetics Guide to Sexuality, Empowering Your Kids to Understand and Live Out God's Design. 
From that conversation, here are Hillary Morgan Ferrer and Amy Davison. I think it's really interesting, especially when you look at how uh, when the Israelites had come out of bondage, God had brought them at the base of Mount Horeb. And he said he wanted the Israelites to teach his precepts to his children, to his children so that they may not forget his teachings. And that word teach is really interesting because it's the word lemad, which means training with the implication to put into use. And we as a church and as a people have not taught and even thought about sexuality in that way. And yes, the sex talk the sex talk has changed because kids are being groomed from a very mm, young age yeah. to be sexually active. I mean, we see this unfortunately for girls most often in clothing and toys. I mean, the whole LOL surprise thing that blew up a few years ago was absolutely shocking. And um Parents were surprised that, oh, we have these these toys and these clothing that are really sexually grooming our girls, but it actually shouldn't be so unexpected to us because we we don't live in a culture that adheres to the biblical worldview. So unfortunately, when the church is only starting to talk about sex in middle school and high school for maybe a teen retreat, they're actually at the tail end of this fight because the world has already been discipling our kids' sexuality from the time they're toddlers. I mean, if you've watched kids' cartoons lately, especially in June for Pride Month, we have bubble guppies having uh, drag queens on bubble guppies and mm. um, blues clues. I mean, and so all of this is starting from the time they're toddlers. And if we're just getting in the game at middle school, we're not just trying to teach to these kids. They already have a whole foundation that's already been built for them by the world. And now we're not only having to try and teach that, we have to break down that foundation. So it's like this constant game of catch up that we're playing. So yes, the sex talk has changed. It's not meant to be a talk. It's actually meant to be an aspect of our faith because sexuality and how, uh, is an aspect of how we were designed and our faith. And so we need to be discipling our kids in that in the same way that we would theology. And, and Amy, you make a very good point. And I would contend that when you're talking about apologetics, such as your group, Mama Bear Apologetics, you're really talking about the Christian worldview perspective, defending our faith and really applying the Christian worldview perspective to the issues we encounter in our lives. So very important when we're talking about matters of sexuality. Hillary, comment how you see that having the Christian worldview perspective really impacts a child's viewpoint toward sexuality. Yeah, uh, this is something that Amy and I talked about early on when we were working on the worldview chapter, and that is how parents have a tendency to teach, uh, how, how, how did you say, Amy, teach a biblical world, teach from a biblical world, but, but not teach the biblical worldview. Yeah, they teach from it, meaning it's already assumed, but mm -hmm. they don't teach what it is, as in, okay, here's what a worldview explains, here's how to recognize other people's worldview, it's more of a proactive approach. Okay. Yeah. So if, if you think of the, the Christian worldview as a bunch of puzzle pieces that all go together to make one singular picture uh, and all the different beliefs, all the different actions that we do are like these pieces to a puzzle, kids are just ending up with this pile of puzzle pieces and don't know what to do with them. And so it's showing them how sex affects the way we view God and the way we view God affects the way <laughs> affects our, our sexuality and it affects the way we view our bodies. It affects the way we view male and female. And all of these have been created together. It's like, you know, the maleness and the femaleness, that itself is a reflection of God. It's part of the Imago Dei. Let us make mankind in, uh, in our image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them. 
Um, and so teaching about, uh, you know, the little, I can't remember if it's the two cent or the $2 word, teleology, the idea that <laughs> things were designed for a purpose. And so if we look at the body, it was designed for a purpose. And, and a lot of times you can find what something was designed for by how it was designed. In fact, biologists use this, they call it um, uh, form follows function that they can actually figure out what something is used for by the way it's constructed and the body is the same way. Um, and so learning how to uh, really take in this idea that we are a mind body unity because right now we have divorced this idea of our mind and our body. It's this kind of nebulous idea of, oh, my, my mind is the real person and my body can be changed at a whim to fit my mind. No, there is a unity that's going on there. Amy Davison and Hillary Morgan Ferrer here on The Intersection. The website address is mama, that's M-A-M-A, bearapologetics.com. We're nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, you can go to meetinghouseonline.info or visit the programming section at faithradio.org to get connected to content. There's a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. There are also links to the podcast through the homepage, to Apple Podcasts, as well as to the Media Center. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House, and the other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. Also, you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content, including recently added content from the Fall 2021 Christian Product Expo near St. Louis. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.